This is Tony Holbein. You're listening to The Revenue Formula. In today's episode of why 75% of scale-ups will have revenue operations in 2025, we will talk about why and when you should actually invest in revenue operations, go through a couple of scenarios there. And then in the end, we'll talk about if you already have revenue operations, how can you get more out of that? I think we're good, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't sure I was going to see you today. Oh, that story. <laughs> I heard that actually earlier today. <laughs> yeah, I was writing a colleague of ours, Olaf So he's not been online yet. Is it? Is it time? So unusual that Tony is sending a Slack message at 1.30 a.m. Yeah. And then not again at 6 a.m. as well. It's not healthy, by the way. Yeah. So the, the background <laughs> is that uh, my wife is... You know, what is it? The due date for my wife is actually uh, tomorrow. No, it's on Wednesday. It's on Wednesday. So it, let's see second kid inbound sharing all the personal details yeah, yeah. getting Wonderful so personal introduction. I love it. and now we're going to talk about you know revenue operations i mean it's what, a it's a it's a seamless a bridge yeah yeah <laughs> transition so yes. easily directly yes. into that one um so today we're going to talk a bit about why actually 75 percent of scale-ups they're going to have revenue operations in 25 yeah and and this was really a stat i came across that gartner had put out then I, I just got so interested and I found that, you know, even in 2021, there was a 300% increase in job titles of VP revenue operations. Yep. And I mean, you you get asked frequently about, you know, when and how to implement revenue operations. We've seen a couple of studies showing that there's a rapid rise in the amount of titles mm -hmm. in revenue operations. So we're going to talk about all the rage. What, yeah. is, what is all the rage here? And and I think the, the important piece is not to, you know, feed into the hype but really talk about what should be your reason to either implement revenue operations or progress it throughout their maturity stages. And we're going to talk about all of these two things a little bit more in depth, but really, you know, putting some more meat to the, oh, you know, this is cool, we should have it, but actually, hey, why, why is that, mm. right? And I think, um, yeah, that's what we're going to spend the next 20 minutes on, actually. So I think it's... It's obvious. We should start with the why. Yeah. That's that's the first, first step. And both you and I have noticed a, a very interesting conversation and, and kind of movement within revenue operations where there's the traditional purpose mm -hmm. and there's the the future purpose or the probably the right way it should be looked at. So let's get into the why and we'll get into that as well. Yeah. So I think the why when you really take a couple of steps back and try and detach yourself from this whole system admin thing that you might be looking at this from right now, it's really the one team or department or group of people, depending on how you want to define it, that can help your organization move closer to predictable revenue. Yeah? So on what does that actually mean? How do you achieve that predictable revenue? The... Our, our point of view on this is obviously that you have a finance team. They do um, financial planning. They work closely with the board to figure out a number. And then they need to create a budget. And, and unfortunately, that budget also needs to have a revenue line item. And then they just put something into that revenue line item. But that usually isn't fully backed up by how the commercial organization actually works. right? And basically, already here now on the planning stage, you have a you have a, a rift that's forming between those two different departments. Revenue operations is here to bridge that gap. 
Revenue operations can, you know, number one, understand the numbers from the finance side and relay some of the commercial numbers to finance. And at the and then when it goes into execution modes, meaning executing that plan, they can work extremely closely with the commercial side and keep supporting them on the numbers and so forth in order to actually you know go towards predictable revenue. And again, that really means creating a plan that's solid, ideally based on data because that's the most solid way, and then executing. We sometimes say relentlessly, but I think the better word is more diligently in terms of really making sure that everything is going according to plan, and it, by the way, won't, and then spotting that immediately, bringing this up as a topic to discuss, and then fixing it immediately. Instead of, oh, it's December, and that thing stopped working in March, and we totally forgot about that. And now we are way far behind. Yes. <laughs> and I think it's also, we've we've it's kind of a pet peeve of ours. Yes, all the tools are important, all the processes are important, but... If you're in revenue operations, you have revenue in the department title that has to be the focus. And you, because of the unique position of knowing the tools, knowing the data, knowing the processes, you do have a unique view that goes across the customer mm -hmm. journey. And all of the things that Revenue Ops is doing, they're obviously extremely beneficial and, and, and worthy. And we're going to talk about some of this in a second. But really, you need to think about what is the overall outcome of that. You know, what can you use that for to generate lots of value for the organization? And, and that is really the predictable revenue piece that we've just been talking about, right? Mm -hmm. I think that is kind of the, uh, that is the masterclass of, of revenue operations. And if you are yourself a revenue operations pro, I can, uh, and simply also due to my journey through, you know, not corporate, but startup life, if you're talking more about those topics, you will go up the ladder quicker. And if you have a revenue operations team but that isn't giving you those outputs yet, that value, then you should probably be trying to get them there over time. Mm. So there's going to be different stages that a company goes through. And we're going to get a bit into the timing and your experience with adding revenue operations. Mm -hmm. So how do you see that, uh, you, you know, what, what's the entry point for revenue operations and when should you start considering it? Yep. So I think revenue operations before you have product market fit doesn't make a bunch of sense. Why is that? So you're basically in research mode all the time. Everything changes week over week. Uh, you probably will have founder-led sales. You don't need to manage a sales team yet. There's not a funnel by any means. Mm. All, of your, all of your interactions with potential customers and customers basically are ways to source information and put it back into product until you really reach that point where the product that you're building is creating a benefit in a market that is large enough and can pay for it. And that's de facto product market fit. There are a bunch of different ways how to measure that and so forth. We're not going to go into this. But at that point, having a revenue operations person sit around is probably not going to add the, the value that you would need to pay for for that role, right? And what we usually see is organizations basically get to product market fit around 50 to 100 employees. Obviously, that's a stretch. Some people do that earlier because they're more cash constrained. Some people do it later because there's you know lots of cash involved. But that's really you know that's really the time where you then uh, you know once you've passed it, when you then start thinking about revenue operations, which then really gets me to the point where you should have where you should seriously starting to consider 
revenue operations, which is around finding go-to-market fit. Hmm. What is? Can you define go-to-market fit? Yes. Go-to-market fit is, number one, you have achieved product market fit. That's the requirement in order to move into that stage. At that point, you will probably be looking like having around a million in AR. You will probably be around 50 to 100 people. And maybe you've just received Series A funding that uh, maybe is 10, 15 million euros or something like that. And your task now is to figure out how you can repeatedly sell the stuff that you're trying to sell. And that really goes back to, you know, what are the channels that we're going to use? You know, find the one thing to scale. There's an episode on, on exactly that thing. And ideally, you want to find two or more things that you can scale. And that really means, you know, your next milestone as an organization is probably going to be 10 million euros in ARR. And getting from one to 10, that is a tall order. Um, but some people, the, the, the best teams achieve that in actually two years. Mm. Yeah? Uh, and that's, that's where this whole triple and triple comes from. You go from one to three and then from three to nine, aka 10-ish. And that's really, that's really your go-to-market fit stage. And the only way to get there in that time frame is you know, for you to figure out a way to repeatedly uh, hire people uh, that you take through an onboarding school that then are able to sell your product. And that's not, you know, that can't be the founder by definition anymore. And, and those people need to have enough leads and opportunities to work on in order to actually, you know, create that, right? And the reason why revenue operations is really powerful in that stage, uh, number one, you will start to uh, using tools. Yes, that's, you know, that's the starting point still. But number two, you will start to look at all of those different channels that you're building out. And you want to, you know, go with a microscope and try and figure out, is this actually working? Are there things that we're hoping to scale? Are they, are they moving in that direction? And revenue operations can basically help you um, as, an, as an analyst role, more or less, uh, at that point, to try and prepare some of the reporting around it, obviously, but really kind of see the end-to-end -end final impact of what you're trying to achieve, right? And that then might sometimes mean also looking at the churn side, right? And many many companies maybe have annual contracts, but many others just don't. And then seeing, hey, this funnel really works, but it's creating customers that churn, basically that you know puts you back to the drawing board. So that's why revenue operations in that case wouldn't only be looking at the sales side or the marketing side, but full funnel and be able to help you make sense of the data mess while you're doing all of these other things. Mm. As a founder going from one to 10, you will be busy with all, all kinds of other things, right? And that's really where revenue operations can help you here in the go-to-market fit stage and figure this out. So it sounds like there will be a lot of work still within the tech tooling data process because you're scaling teams, you know, more sales reps, mm -hmm. updating processes, all, all that stuff. But you're also kind of tapping into the revenue side, which mm -hmm. is really key, right? Yes. So how does that switch when you go from towards the end of this stage? What does that look like for the team? Is the scale kind of shifting or will it will it remain the yeah. same? I think the I think once you cross into the 10 million plus stage, so in um, in company maturity stages, we're now talking scale up. Mm. By the way, that's an it's a really good FYI for everyone here. If you are not really at the point where you can pour money into your revenue engine and get money out, you are not considered a scale-up. But really, scale-up is a new term for a startup. 
Mm. And people need to, I feel people need to stop conflating those two, those two terms. There's a startup phase and then there's a scale-up phase. And scale-up really starts around 10 million ARR plus minus. You will usually, this is, this is the time where you're talking Series B investment with mm. those big guys. And they will usually give you upwards of 20, 30 million euros in order to execute. And, and the question that they have is, how can we take those 30 million euros we just gave you, put it through your revenue machine, and ideally see 30, 40, 50 million coming out of this in the next two years? Yeah. And in order to have that conversation, you will need to have completed the go-to-market stage to be able to say, well, based on what we've seen so far, those two channels work, we can scale them to a very large degree, and we basically kind of have a great way to process all the funds you just gave us. Yeah, mm -hmm. That's really how a VC thinks about that. So why is revenue operations important for this? Well, now you're, you're, just, you're just playing with bigger chips right now, my friend. I remember you called it Legos. Yeah, <laughs> yes. You, you just got 30 million Legos to play with, uh, and you're not spending them one by one. No. You know, you're spending them in blocks, right? And Millennium Falcon blocks, yeah. you know, and the and the thing here really is that um, at that point, what you're trying to you know make sure is that you know because you're going to be burning a million plus at this point, and that usually means even spending more because you do have revenues coming in giving you additional cash. So you want to make sure that the money that you're spending on your revenue engine is spent in the right way and it doesn't go astray. And that's not really just a budgeting thing. This is also an efficiency thing. This is looking at everything, you know, in total. And revenue operations will probably be the team that's being tasked with this, right? And if you don't have revenue operations in place here, then it's it's just a larger stakes, it's a bigger gamble on, you know, all the money that you're spending at that point. So really, I feel at 10 million, not having revenue operations in place, I think that might just be a be a risky move. Let's just yeah. say it like that. You know, having at a million maybe feels like a luxury. Not having at 10 million, I think you're exposing yourself to a, a pretty aggressive flank here that easily could go wrong. I think it's also just interesting, right? Because most most of the teams will have a finance function, mm -hmm. but you kind of want to counterbalance. Sure, there are things we need to hit on the financial side, but there are a bunch of funnel metrics that drive those. And yes. and if you are in the state where you've raised a lot of money and there's a plan you need to be able to hit, it's probably a good thing to have more eyes on how that plan is laid out. So I don't want to be too Machiavellian about this, but at this point you will get in been there, done that VPs mm. on the marketing side, on the sales side, on the CS side, also obviously on the product and, and so forth side. And, and these guys, they will be a little bit more political. They will be doing a little bit more maneuvering. They want to make sure they don't get fired in the 12 months. There they will be a bit higher stakes and some of the blame will be shifted around a little bit. And you need someone that actually knows what's going on in order to help you tell the truth. Mm. And that person will not be your CFO in many, many cases, simply because the stuff on the commercial side is a little bit too intricate to expect from any financial organization to call this out. We had, we had one example recently where there basically was um, uh, MQL's top conversion rate dropped by a lot. And, um, you know, obviously sales got blamed for it as, as, as it should be, as it should be, honestly. <laughs> no. and, and, the, and the reason here was like, well, you know, um, sales is apparently not picking up those MQL's fast enough. So, so damn them. 
And then, you know, because obviously we were around and, you know, we could we could look into the funnel a bit differently, uh, we basically dug into um, how the traffic changed over the last couple of months. And what we did see is that um, the, the really high value traffic, your direct and branded search and these kind of things, they tanked over summer, duh. I mean, basically, yeah. demand basically was down. Mm. Um, marketing's team still had their MQL targets and they were kind of solid. They were playing playing around a little bit with those definitions. Also, you know, typical, typical thing. But um, basically what happened is they saw demand tanking, which is a total, you know, normal thing. And then, you know, they basically pumped it up with paid social. Mm. Yeah, and ran demo requests through paid social. And they got to the MQL number, they got to the demo request number, but obviously the demo requests you get through paid social, if you are like that that aggressive about it, they will not have the same value as your other demand that comes direct or branded mm -hmm. search. And basically the the reason for the MQL to op conversion rate dropping was really, you know, was identified on the traffic side. And obviously the VP marketing in that session was fairly eager and quick to say like, hey, it's sales without actually saying, hey, wait a minute, it was actually our fault. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and if you go out of a meeting like this, uh, having the wrong root cause analysis done, you basically set yourself up for for missing a quarter right yeah. there, right? Revenue operations will be helping you to uncover something like that. I think this is where it's powerful. It's not necessarily something you discover in a quarterly review because if you're doing a monthly and you have the team set up for it, you'll catch it early on in order to actually counteract that right and and so i totally get into to the value here and then really you know once you're once you're past that and this is like a fluffy fluffy thing now we sometimes call it late stage uh, sorry late scale i think i think what happens more and more at that point is that uh, you will or your your executive team will be looking at what's called inorganic growth basically buying other companies that's the fancy term for that. You buy other companies, M&A, mergers and acquisitions, you know, all the startup people get to play investment banking. And what you then do here is you buy a company that usually isn't performing in a stellar way. Something is wrong with them. Maybe they're a great product, but they're not growing. So you can buy them rather cheaply. And what you really want to make sure in those transactions is, so what exactly is wrong with the revenue engine? Because I can tell you that the selling CEO will not tell you what exactly is wrong. And sometimes simply because he or she just doesn't know it, right? And I think it's a mistake to only deploy your uh, finance team to run the deal because that's usually how this works out. Obviously, you should for your commercial due diligence, instead of just checking customer contracts and, you know, th these kind of things that are happening there, you should actually deploy your revenue operations team or parts of that to figure out how does the engine look like? What's wrong with it? What's right with it? How is it going to integrate to our engine? Sure, there's some tooling questions around that as well, but much more, how does the buyer journey look? How can we cross-pollinate those different pipelines? How can we cross-sell and upsell? And you know, what can we maybe add to this revenue engine to take away the flaws that maybe have been keeping them from growing previously? And I'm sorry, someone in finance will not figure this out for you. Hmm. I mean, you've been involved in a couple of M&As. Yep. So this has been the process you've pretty much followed. Yeah. And so when whenever I was part of, and, you know, I've been part of the, you know, in investment banking, it's called the buy side. Very cool. Yeah. 
And I've also been part of the sell side. So the sell side for us was basically an exit, one's decision, and then for the other company to zero. And the buy side, we bought a couple of smaller players in the social media space, right? And basically my job then was really to try and figure out, hey, what's, you know, tell me, tell me what's the process? How, mm-hmm. does, how does someone land at your website and then, you know, churns? And uh, then, you know, backing this up by data, trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong. And sometimes came to the conclusion, uh, none of this is really actually working here. So really we, you know, quote unquote, only gonna buy the customer base and the tech and, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some other cases, they were like, hey, this could be a cool addition to our revenue engine and basically kind of uh, building it there, right? And, and one of the things that was really powerful, uh, I think was uh, we did an acquisition in, uh, in India and in Bangalore and basically a couple of really fantastic people there that that can help us across many different commercial functions. It's not an offshoring kind of topic. It's really about uh, you know figuring out how they can actually help you know supplement our revenue engine through a couple of things, right? And maybe that's a that's another episode mm-hmm. at some other time. But we've found some really cool ways of how to use that talent to to keep building our international presence. Mm. So why is um, at, at this stage why is M and A actually something you start to consider? Well, you are being asked to double and triple, and that gets harder and harder. And adding, so there are a couple of okay, stepping stepping back here a little bit. So there are a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, if it's a head-on competitor, it's really cool to take a a piece of the chessboard. It's mm. very helpful. Helps the whole market to increase conversion rates, you know, and so forth. Another thing is if the product is adjacent, you basically make it a strategic product acquisition, right? Instead of trying to develop it yourself, you Mm -hmm. kind of get this in. This is obviously tricky for many reasons, but none of them I really fully understand because I'm not a product guy. And then the the last reason usually is a different segment or market that you want to grow into, right? Hey, you know, the US, we're weak there. This player is great. Let's buy them to have that as our entry ticket to the US or enterprise and so forth. And then obviously, and this is at the end of the day, what drives the deal value and the and the greed is, oh wow, in one fell swoop, we just grew five million euros. Mm. And then it's like, okay, yeah, we need to do this deal now because you know we missed Q2, Q3 isn't looking great. Uh, we just need to figure out how to melt those numbers into our organic growth and make it look better. Uh, but that's usually then the, the the reason why to go forward with this. That was kind of all the stages. Yeah. So those those are really the reasons, you know, why and when to add revenue operations. And some of you might already have revenue operations present right now in your organization. And maybe you're wondering if you're still listening. It's like, okay, that was boring. I knew all of that. But maybe you're wondering how can you get more out of that revenue operations team? Yeah? And we actually started to develop some kind of a maturity or evolution framework around revenue operations because it's obviously helpful for us to understand, but uh, turned out super interesting also for everyone in revenue operations. And, and really the, 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 frame, uh, the steps are pretty simple and straightforward and just kind of talking through this. It starts with system administration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, very people really want to hear it and everyone wants to get out of it. And no, we're not just system admins and totally get it. But that's usually how it starts. That's also usually how your career as a RevOps person starts. It's um, you know either oh someone needs to own Salesforce, mm. 
or oh, someone else now needs to own Salesforce. Yeah? So this is usually how it starts. That's how you grow into this thing. And, um, and basically, that's a great filter for more technical, logical, analytical people because other people just wouldn't go down that track because of that, I think, right? Um, but really then the next stage is, and that goes sometimes hand in hand also with your, uh, your company evolution, um, you need someone doing a little bit of sales operations. Yeah? And this is really departmentalized operations, but in that case, usually it's sales operations where it starts. And typical tasks are commission calculation, ad hoc reporting, and you know some other recurring non-awesome stuff, usually helping the VP of sales to make sure that he or she is managing the people in the right way. There might be performance management in there, et cetera. And really the, the point now where we only start talking about revenue operations is when you move from single department operations to full funnel operations. Some people call it go-to-market operations. Uh, more and more people call it revenue operations. And that's really where you have a team that does that looks after marketing, that looks after sales, and that looks after customer success, right? Mm -hmm. That's really the full breadth. That's when you have revenue operations. And if you have something like that already in your organization, fantastic. I want to tell you now how you can get more of your revenue operations team right here. And also you as a revenue ops professional, you know, where does that ladder go next? Because that's kind of sometimes the question. And we see it as actually the next step is being revenue management or, uh, you know, revenue execution, actually. And this really is a, as a straightforward effort to build consensus and alignment around your go-to-market about the whole revenue stream. And how do you do that? Well, you do that with monthly and quarterly business reporting. I kid you not, that is the entry ticket to this thing. First of all, you will need to align the different metrics across the funnel, you know, really align them because you will need to pressure test them with people that are very, you know, uh, emotional about them. And then have those sessions with your VP sales, VP marketing, so basically with your commercial leadership team. Uh, very quickly, the CEO and CFO will knock on the door and be like, can I see this deck? Can I, be, can I be part of this meeting? Or can you maybe, you know? And, you know, now you're basically creating or owning the scorecard of uh, the revenue engine, you know, right there. And very quickly, in order to keep it interesting, you will start instead of, Hey, you know, hey, VP sales, you missed your target. It's like, duh, thanks, I know that. <laughs> but very quickly, we'll start talking about what are the things for next quarter we need to get done in order to not miss that time. Yeah, really interesting conversation. Now the, the VP of sales will be much more interested and so forth. And, and this is now kind of the next evolution step. So once you are starting to talk a little bit about the future, be proactive, be forward-looking and so forth, very quickly, someone will ask you, what about the next six months? What about the next year? Hey, Mikkel, we have planning coming up. Uh, you know, we want to hit for this revenue number with this amount of cash we have. Mm. Um, what do you think about it? And suddenly, and this is, you know, uh, the next step, really you go into revenue planning. What are, what are the things that need to happen on the commercial side for next year in order to hit that number? you might actually end up in a situation where you help the VP of sales to negotiate the target up or down or, you know, the CAC that he is available to hit that target up or down, uh, which is a very, very central position in an organization. So I can really recommend trying to own some of that. And then, you know, basically being the go-to person for a CFO, CEO, sometimes even the board to be like, you know, what are, are we going to 
are we going to be able to do this, Mikkel, right? And once you're talking to those people, you know, your, your title just can't be a revenue operations manager anymore. Yeah, It's a <laughs> so, marketing thing. You need, you need proper seniority. Yeah, yeah, you know, you need to level match yeah. and stuff. So now you're at revenue planning. And I think maybe, and this is the last point here, I think, you know, where, where do you go from there, right? You're VP of revenue operations. We just heard this, this term tripled or something like that in the last year or so. Where do you go from there? I think the jump to COO is pretty straightforward. Uh, a lot of people have done that. I think much better uh, jump to CRO, mm. Chief Revenue Officer. Uh, you go from VP of Revenue Operations to Chief Revenue Officer. I've done something like that. And I actually think that going from RevOps to CRO is a much better jump than going from VP Sales to CRO. Mm. And maybe I'll pause for a second and let you talk, Michael. Yeah, I mean, because it basically means you understand the entire funnel, how it works, how it performs. And um, I think what I challenge you a bit on is while you've worked in revenue operations, just managing that team, all of a sudden you will need to manage an entirely different department. Mm. And that's quite a leap to take as a professional. I'm actually curious because you've taken that leap. Mm -hmm. How? How do you do that and how how do you actually make sure that that succeeds? So revenue operations sometimes ends up being the team for all the stray teams. Mm. <laughs> and so this is, so the reason why it's funny, it's a little bit true actually. So when we talk to RevOps people, very quickly it's like, oh no, you know, I also have this outbound team and uh, this uh, performance management, this performance marketing team as well. And, you know, the enablement guys, actually they're sitting with CS, but, I kind of own them. So it's um, uh, it's usually, you know, when you get to that level, you're being trusted with some of the problem children that are hanging in organizations. Yeah? And that's, I think, where you will start honing some of your leadership skills and where you're starting to manage more than your five to 10, and this is a lot, 10 people, revenue operations, a lot, kind of teams. And basically, you know, in my case, I was put in charge of outbound uh, because that at that point, no one believed in that. Then you, you and I, Mikkel, performance marketing started <laughs> one of the stray, started <laughs> one of the stray children uh, uh, started to work together a little bit. And the the rationale was here: well, you know, where do we want to invest the next dollar of CAC? Is mm. it outbound? Is it inbound? Right? Great conversations we had over the years there, Mikkel. <clears throat> and then really, you know, because I was also through revenue operations in charge of setting quotas for the sales reps and all of that stuff work extremely closely with the account executive team already together and the VP of sales there. So that step was kind of natural. And then the last piece that was kind of missing was was CS actually in this. Mm. And 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 in my case, that was a, sm I mean, I wouldn't say smooth, but it was a sensible transition. Mm. I think you're right that if you are managing a team of five to 10 uh, specialists in revenue operations, you run this in Scrum, you're the mm. trusted advisor, sure, but can you actually manage a VP of sales? Mm. Can you manage a VP of marketing? And that is that is sometimes a tall order to jump over. And I think I think you know yes, sure, there's a transition issue here, sure. But is a VP of sales really a better CRO? That's really the question you should be asking. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's an entirely different episode. Yeah, right, Tony. Probably. I've been doing a lot of talking here today, I think, but uh, I hope it was still entertaining and uh, not too monologue -y. I just um, try and push the button you have 
and then get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> duck, duck. That, that, that works really well with me. In another episode, I think I went on a pricing tangent just like that. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and this time we're talking about something else. I mean, it always comes with a risk. I'm really like, sometimes impressed how you manage me, Mikko. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Managing upwards. Or yeah. Upwards. I don't know. I think that's what it is. But I mean, Tony, I hope you're going to get a lot of uh, in-mails or emails about this evolution of revenue operations. Maybe we need to turn it into something a bit more... You know, you can sit and read on your own time, figure out where you are, how you develop. Yeah, maybe it's um, a growth letter thing. Yeah, it could be. And if you're not on the growth letter, you know. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast, maybe also want to sign up for the growth letter. Um, you will find it. Where do you find it? Actually? Well, you find it on our website, of course. Yeah. And otherwise on almost all of my LinkedIn posts. Yeah. And it's not a newsletter. It's, it's not a newsletter. You are actually writing the email, pretty much. Sure. Yeah. And you are responding. To the so the, the 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 cool thing is the email comes from me and I write it. Uh, I do get a little bit of help, honestly. But if you reply, I'll be also sitting there and I'll be replying back. So I had a couple of really fun conversations already with many of you folks out there. Happy to continue that. And if you want to have advice on how to grow from VP of Revenue Ops to CRO, uh, chat me up. Yeah. Thanks so much, Tony. Wonderful, Michael. Thanks to you, dear listener. Bye. 